0: You're listening to Well Made, a podcast from Lumi about the people and ideas that are shaping our patterns of consumption for the better. I'm your host, Stefan Ango. Laura behrens welcome back.
1: Thank you. Thanks for having me again. It's been a little while.
0: I don't remember. I need to look up <laughs> when it was, but I think it was a couple of years ago. Probably
1: three years. Yeah, I remember that.
0: Returning champion and uh, CEO of Shippo, I think people know and love Shippo. But is there something that has changed over the past couple of years about how you describe Shippo to people when you're trying to <laughs> tell people what it is?
1: I would still call it like a, a shipping platform for modern e-commerce companies. And I think good analogies are still like Stripe or Twilio for shipping. Um, however, the, the vision has kind of become a little bit bigger might help to talk about what we were before and then how that evolved yeah so at the at the beginning when we started this company my co-founder and i were actually building an e-commerce business and then building that e-commerce business kind of realized that shipping is really hard and it is offline centric and the shipping providers don't have good software products they they like their their websites are not easy to navigate their um, apis are terrible it is hard to get someone on the line for like account management or, or or sales. So that was, that was like difficult. So we, we started to look into what what we could do there and decided to just like model it pretty much after like Stripe or Twilio, two companies that back then were, were much smaller, like API centric companies that were going into a somewhat outdated space and then building a developer first or, or easy to use developer experience, a product first company in the, in the shipping space. And, um, Back then we thought the main shipping challenge was really like buying shipping labels. And um buying shipping labels I think has two components here. Like first the technical aspect, buying the shipping, like connecting to the shipping providers, being able to buy a shipping label from multiple different shipping companies through the same technology, and then also getting access to discounted shipping rates. Like our e-commerce businesses, they all care about cost. Shipping is a cost factor, so you want to make sure that they get those costs down because we're, we aggregate volume, we aggregate demand, we're able to get access to, to all kinds of different like economies of scale and in shipping discounts. That was our initial thought, like making shipping label purchase as easy as possible. And then from there, we've kind of realized that our customers, they they come to us, they buy shipping labels, they're fairly happy with that. And then they write in and have a bunch of other shipping-related problems. And they, they look at us to help them solve those. And it, it's questions about like, how do I optimize? How do I know which shipping provider to, to, to use data and analytics and benchmarking? And then it also goes into like, how do I show the right shipping options at checkout? And how do I do tracking? How do I do returns? So I realized that the shipping problem is much larger than buying a shipping label. That's where it starts. Like every e-commerce company needs to buy a shipping label, but then there are other shipping related challenges that they need to solve. That's how the vision expanded as, as we um started like onboarding more and more customers and and hearing what what else customers are thinking about so that's kind of how it's changed I would say like we we started for sure very us centric and um are now like shipping is just inherently global there's there's no way around that and and we're moving forward in that world of globalization where everyone can buy stuff on the internet and people don't really know where they're buying from they see a website that they like and the the product can be located anywhere so we're kind of moving more into a a, a, like a more and more globalized world where even smbs can can sell internationally and um that's another trend that we're seeing and we're starting to expand internationally to, to support that trend as well
0: and obviously, the past twelve months have just been wild in the world of shipping, and I want to go into a little bit of a, like a state of the union and we have <laughs> someone here that you know you know so much you're seeing the the day to day but 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 i want I want to kind of contextualize this for people because there's lots of folks who are using this for their Etsy business or for their eBay store, and then these also have like bigger companies using it. How do you think about that distribution of your different customers?
1: For sure. So we started as an as an SMB business. And um, in fact, we started with the absolute long tail of our of that customer base. It was born really out of pragmatism. Like when we mm. started the company, our first product, and a shipping API, we start, we talked to everyone. We talked to a lot of e-commerce businesses that were better established, got introductions to them. And um, the, the question was always like, how many packages are already going through your API? And um when we were very early, there were zero packages going through our API so um that was just the honest answer and then the, these companies they like shipping is critical infrastructure for them, so there was no real incentive or no no it's too risky to switch to something that had zero volume going through and it was very unproven so um we went back to the drawing board and decided with with that knowledge, let's go after the smallest possible customers. They have a giant pain point. They're probably not going to ask us any questions about how many packages are already going through us. And um, it's a good customer segment to tackle and start aggregating some volume. And once we have volume going through that, we're able to go after larger and larger customers. That is actually what, what happened. And then the other dynamic was also that a lot of our smallest customers became feeders for like the mid-sized and larger customer segment. We're able to like just capture startups as they were tiny, even pre-funding. And then they grew to become like pretty sizable e-commerce businesses and direct-to-consumer brands. So um, we've seen just entrepreneurs work out really well. Some of them experience like, growth, and then we're able to, that's just compound compound growth for us, and we're able to to um, grow alongside of them. Um, but yeah, how I think about the distribution, our bread and butter is still SMBs, and then we've been pulled up market by um, our growing customers. We define SMB by shipping volume, which I think is a, unusual way to, to, to define like the customer segments, but our SMBs, they ship up to 10,000 packages a month. And then we have actually a good amount of customers shipping more than 10,000 packages a month, but our, our product market fit is best in the SMB segment. But I, I think to your earlier point around like COVID and the pandemic and like some of the trends that we've been seeing, like what all of our customers have in common is that they're independent businesses, mm. their brands, their, are independent uh, mom and pop businesses, and um, they're not like the, the retail giants at this point. I, they're, they're not Amazon or, or or Walmart. So we've been seeing a good amount of just like trends from that. And yeah, happy to to dive into any kinds of, of details.
0: Well, I think that this is fascinating because while you've been doing this, other businesses have been growing really fast. And I'm thinking specifically of e-commerce marketplaces like. Depop and Poshmark and mm-hmm. Etsy and you know there's a whole bunch of these where now like individuals are becoming more entrepreneurial and have a place to do that yes. and I could see that being a tension for you in terms of your your time and engineering and what are you spending what are you going to focus on how do, is that how do you do that
1: <laughs> well, It is a really good question and I think when when VCs are like people ask me why now like why is now a good time to build something like Shippo I think it's it's exactly because of what you're what you're describing like more people are able to sell on the internet because of these tools it's like everyone's an e-commerce merchant they have platforms at their fingertips like Etsy and, and Shopify and Depop even that the smallest seller can look professional on the internet and reach a pretty wide audience so we're talking to a different kind of customer base compared to, I don't know, like people who are able to do commerce beforehand, where you have to get a physical location and like upfront capital and investments. So you have to be like somewhat more sizable. So we're, we're talking to this, this this new breed of, of e-commerce uh, merchants. They're good with technology or like at least at ease with technology. And they're they're not shipping experts or, or any kind of e-commerce experts. They're using third-party technology to be able to do that. And then in terms of like tension or, or prioritization, I think... What we're seeing is just these platforms and marketplaces, like a bunch of them that you mentioned, Afra, Depop, Macari, Curtsy, whatnot, they're all like SHIPO customers. So they're they're using the SHIPO API to power shipping functionalities built into to their platform. And that's that's perfect for us because like acquiring those tiny, tiny entrepreneurs one by one would be very costly for right. us to do. And if we can like enter into a BD partnership with a platform. Where we power their built-in shipping functionality that gives us great distribution. and it gives the platform like just a, a way to, to to monetize shipping as well, to like offer a feature to their customer set that, that their customers need. So it seems like it's it's a pretty good win-win. And I think one of the trends that we've been seeing is that like all these platforms, they started out with like payments being built in, and shipping was kind of an afterthought. Mm. And in the last like five years since we've been doing Shippo, Shipping has become just a must-have functionality in these platforms and marketplaces. So, um, one of our product pillars this year is to to focus on platforms and marketplaces, and that's a a better way for us to capture like the the longest tails of of SMB customers, and then to in our own product double down on our core, but also expand our market to be able to like serve the customers as they grow.
0: So, in the last twelve months, there have been a lot of like big different forces happening in the world. I mean, obviously COVID, mm-hmm. but there's some some things that were, that were already happening, things that were already in motion. And let's assume that our listeners kind of know something about uh, what's going on, but maybe not everything. And the things that I'm thinking of are, you know, the holidays were really rough. And I, I would love to get your insight on why or what are the like, causes of that. There's a big shift in you know, Amazon bringing online their own, uh, essentially carrier network that they're using for themselves. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, there are things like the USPS and and some politics around that around what was going on with changes to the USPS should should the USPS be a profitable entity, those types of things like all of these different forces are happening at the same time. And I'm curious, and then obviously everyone's at home and and, and how do we get um, packages in and out of people's homes and that kind of stuff and so I'm curious with your lens on the world, like how do you think about all of that, or can you give us a little bit of a, of a state of the union on what happened over the past few months?
1: It all starts just with increased demand for shipping like people have been shipping more, and um, that's because Like the the trend of selling on the internet has been happening for a good amount of time. That was nothing new. And there was like a steady growth in e-commerce penetration. Um, And then in in addition to that, like when COVID hit, all of commerce shifted online. Like people didn't want to go to the stores anymore. People are just buying on the internet instead. And also I think a new customer segment discovered online shopping. Like my cu- my, my parents are, are buying on the internet now. They've never bought on the internet before. It's so, like it, it just became necessary for like a new customer segment that's like the late adopters to learn how to do this. And um, what we saw in, I think exactly, almost exactly a year ago was like March was not really a, a good month. I think like for every for everyone in the Everyone doing business like they were bracing themselves in March. Like I think consumers did not really know what to expect. There's a lot of conflicting stuff on the news. So um, like some things were being bought much more than others. Like we saw an increase in obviously toilet paper. Like everyone right. knows that. Um, but then uh, on the internet, like we saw like a, a company shipping flour. Like um, like something. Right. Yeah. Everyone was flour- making
0: sourdough bread at home. Exactly. It was
1: all sold out. <laughs> And they were shipping a ton, Um, all of our customers selling like uh, gym equipment, selling a ton. And then other categories like products that were maybe more nice to have, like in March, people were were not really buying that and, and kind of preparing themselves for the worst. Then in April things changed for the better in e-commerce like i think people were starting to get used to or or accept that this is the new reality now they're going to stay at home for a little bit they're going to still have to live their lives like there was not a like no anarchy broke out like was no zombie apocalypse people are just like okay that's my life now and um, (laughs) given that that was the case i think life just started resuming and people were buying on the internet more and more more than before. And um, they're buying all kinds of stuff on the internet. And so all of our customers, we saw uh, like in in terms of our cohorts, all of our cohorts were growing faster than before, like new cohorts and existing cohorts. And then we also had just a good amount of of new signups. And that was probably just a frenzy of like businesses that were um, mostly offline businesses were starting to open their online stores, making sure that they can continue doing business on the internet. We also saw a lot of like entrepreneurship happening because of the, this new environment. So people selling and making face masks. I think Etsy saw that in their numbers as well. Right. That was really good. Just all kinds of, of new entrepreneurship emerging. Oh, and then as I think as, as part of that, like we in in April decided to just like drop our Chabot fees to zero to support independent businesses for that year. I think that was fairly positive for, for team morale, but also for our customer uh, base. And then lastly, like, every time around Thanksgiving we take a, a around Cyber Monday and Black Friday like at Shipper, we have the tradition of like guessing what our what our shipping volume will be that day and because typically it is the the biggest shipping day of the year and um, this year we actually didn't see a ton of growth on those specific days but people were buying that entire month it was much more spread out um, so that was that was an interesting one um, the spike was was not as high on that particular day but the entire month was crazy elevated. And let's see what else um, in terms of just the the shipping provider landscape. I think there are a few very interesting um, developments. Like we've always had the had the hypothesis that the shipping like landscape will become more fragmented, mostly because like you, you've got the big carriers that you know about, like USPS, FedEx, UPS. And um, we've actually seen like a lot more small shipping providers that are up and coming, or regional shipping providers. And we've seen that also because some of the sh- larger shipping providers they're seeing, they were seeing delays, they're not taking on uh, new business or they were um, getting rid of uh, certain SLAs and then that made other carriers more attractive. Um, so we've seen just an increased demand for a wider carrier base, more carriers. And then in terms of like the, the, the actual delays we were looking at the data ourselves. And I think that's another fun part of our business, just having a wealth of aggregate data. And we realized that on average, the delays were not crazy. Um, what was crazy was like some of the, the, the outliers, like the outliers were, were giant. And I think that was what people noticed when they complained on the internet, like they were hit by an outlier. Uh, but on average across all of the volume, like the, the, the delays were not were not that crazy.
0: Explain what you mean by the outliers. You're saying that one out of a hundred packages was, instead of being delayed for five days, was delayed for thirty days or something like that. But then on the average, uh, I'm just guessing, yeah, something like so, that.
1: It kind of like like that in the sense that, like, on average, let's say it takes four days to arrive, but then one out of whatever like customer, whatever packages was like, took ten days to arrive or maybe even twenty days, right. That contributed to to the perception and then we were able to see the data around like certain routes just had more of those outliers than other routes so it was it was almost it' was almost like a hyper local experience of like we knew in, in these areas it there may be that there could be more spikes than in other areas in terms of um, transit times
0: I'm really fascinated by that point you were making about uh, more fragmentation in carriers and I think that especially in in bigger cities, people maybe are starting to get used to that just because, for example, with food delivery and and things like that, you're interacting with another, you know, human being who maybe that's just like their part time job. And so it feels like maybe there's a decrease in the level of affinity that consumers have with any particular shipping carrier they just care that it's gonna get there
1: (laughs) no i think it is an it is an interesting point i think consumers or even starting with merchants like merchants don't really have a ton of um i would say preference for for a shipping provider they care about speed and they care about cost and they care about the quality of the shipping, but then merchants they just want to make sure that the consumers are happy while their costs stay stay manageable. And um, consumers care about like the shipping rates at checkout. They care about SLAs and making sure things arrive on time. They want to make sure that the packages are not like thrown into the yard, They're, like left at the right spot. So what we're seeing is just it's that's given a lot of smaller carriers an opportunity to do better and to to like fix or fill a specific niche and um like as recently talking to a carrier called uh, swift um they do toronto mostly just shipping within toronto and um be, because of their scale or density within toronto like same day delivery within toronto is now like they, they've Brought that cost down significantly. I know of a similar carrier called Vijo, um, focused on I, I think Denver and, and a few other cities around there. So there are like these very hyper-local solutions that are that are coming up. And um, when a carrier is just focused on a particular city or a particular state, they're able to do that city or state best. And um, the interesting part there is that a merchant can never rely on like one of these carriers as their only shipping solution because they'll have customers that are within their city within their state but they're also customers that are across the country so that's where like this multi-carrier and this optimization starts making sense will they where they have to just like use multiple carriers to be able to reach all of their customers
0: another level of specialization would be like the type of good that you're providing like if it's fresh food that needs to stay cold or if it's furniture that's like really large or something like that, is that something that you're seeing too?
1: For sure. Um, like I think a great example is alcohol shipping. Like alcohol is a, a special needs a special flag. Um, not every shipping provider can ship alcohol and you, you need to enable that alcohol flag for, for it to work. So yes, we've seen shipping providers like here in, here in, in California, one is called GLS, and they're they're just really good at, at alcohol delivery. That is another way of, of specializing, and I think the, the other part is like when we talk about same day shipping. A few years ago, if you'd ask me, I probably said something about like on demand delivery, and um, Uber Rush was was trying that for packages, and we've we've actually seen that on demand delivery for for like products that are not food. Is, is really hard. It's hard because it's yeah. disruptive to the to, to the warehouse. Like you have to have a warehouse worker standing there to hand over a package, and typically, like a carrier can come at the end of the day and pick up like hundreds of packages at once, and no, no one needs to like interrupt their workflow to, to to help facilitate that. It's like we've seen just same day delivery be on the rise, but not not in an on demand fashion, in a like aggregate fashion, just gonna happen same day, but not not this specific minute or hour.
0: Well one of the things that was in your um end of year report was that you were actually seeing the fulfillment time increasing um from like 24 hours to 4 days. Yeah. I wasn't sure if that was kind of a a problem or if people were were communicating with their customers in a in a different way and that like the expectation that Amazon has set which is like get your thing same day or next day is, is maybe decreasing in importance? Uh, I, what's your lens on that?
1: Excellent question. Um, because when you talk about like shipping at, at checkout, let's say like typically best practice would be to, to say how long it's going to take for the package to arrive to set some kind of consumer expectation. So if you say like shipping is going to take two days, that's great, but most merchants don't take into account that there are a few hours or maybe even a few days that you need for fulfillment. So shipping takes two days and you need like four days to, to, before it gets out of the door. Then in total, it's going to take six days. So um, I think that's just something to, to communicate upfront. It is a pandemic problem. that like the, the Two issues that come come to mind for me, like first of all, the warehouses are at capacity. There's just more products being ordered and, and they're, they're backed up. And then, secondly, because of safety regulations, like warehouses had to limit the amount of people um, being able to work in a warehouse at once, mm. and um, just that they're able like less throughput coming through the warehouse. So that that is then increasing the the fulfillment times from maybe uh, like twenty four hours to four days. Best practice would be twenty four hours because like merchant uh, consumers start counting. Like when they, when they see it's going to take two days, they start counting that particular moment. They don't know to add another day um, to, to their, to their expectations. Um, (laughs) And then I think the other part though, is that, you know, there were some issues with Amazon and Amazon prime at the beginning of the pandemic. And I think that made people just more sensitive or like more aware to buying from independent businesses and more open-minded for like longer wait times because there there was no alternative, like Amazon wasn't working. So like other, they had to look for other options. And then like, uh, in in addition to that, I would say people were also just more they wanted to support independent businesses. I for sure felt that in in America that people wanted they want to support independent businesses. Mm. They are aware that independent businesses are struggling. They prefer to buy from someone um who's like trying to 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 keep their business up and running than than buying from a from a giant company. So I've seen that awareness and that that's really really good.
0: Well, when I think about my own behavior, there's definitely things that I want to get as soon as possible, especially if it's mm-hmm. like groceries being delivered. But then a lot of things, I don't really care that much if it's four days or a week or two weeks. Like sometimes I'm buying things and, you know, I just, (laughs) I care that it gets here, but I don't actually care how many days. But Amazon has kind of trained us to like expect that it's going to come as fast as possible. Yeah. There are options in the Amazon checkout that say, you know, (laughs) I want this like slower, which is kind of interesting. But simultaneously, you have, I think there's been a little bit uh, more conversation happening around e-commerce that e-commerce companies really need to be controlling their costs more and offering overnight shipping (laughs) is expensive or offering, you know, two day shipping is expensive. Can you kind of come to your customer with a little bit more realism that this is an item that you don't necessarily need the next day? You could wait an extra couple of days and everybody's better for it somehow.
1: So I think on on that one, it's really about setting customer expectations properly. And what I mean by that is like, I just talk about shipping costs. Like if I see e-commerce businesses that have like a little banner up there and like even before you get to checkout, it says, free shipping above like $75. That way you're not waiting until checkout to communicate that. That also tells me that if I buy less than $75, I have to expect some kind of shipping fees. Right. So um, as, as part of the process of, of shopping there, or putting things into my cart, I'm just primed to, to expect that at checkout. That is good. Like you don't want to surprise people at checkout and suddenly they see shipping fees that they didn't expect. Um, any surprise in the last moment of like clicking the, before clicking the buy button is is bad from a, from a merchant standpoint. What I, what we also see like best practice at checkout would be to show multiple different shipping options because like there are different consumer preferences and um, you want to capture all of them. So you can offer free shipping, but if you offer free shipping, it's probably going to take longer. So seven, let's, let's just I'm picking random numbers, like free shipping, it's going to take seven days. If you need it within two days, like Costs five dollars or ten dollars, whatever the the right the right cost is. But that way, you're, you're you're like someone can opt into free shipping if they're okay with seven days, or they can opt into the the more expensive one if they absolutely have a need getting it here within a certain amount of time. So yeah, I, I think it's just about communicating it properly, showing different kinds of. Uh, options to the customers and letting the customers make the decision. Customers feel much better about making the choice of, I'm going to take free shipping, but it's going to take me seven days, um, compared to not having an option.
0: (laughs) Right. And uh, you know, this is is making me think of something else that we've seen on the packaging side. And a couple of our customers are now doing this, um, which is to offer the customer checkout a low packaging option. Um, and this is really fascinating. We wrote uh, a blog post about this function of beauty and Glossier, a couple customers that come to mind that are doing this, where, you know, sometimes you have a customer who is new to your product or they're gifting this to someone else and they really want that like super fancy unboxing experience. Yes. But then you have other customers who might be more sustainability conscious or they're repeat customers so they don't need like the full experience and they're making the choice to go with a more minimal packaging Option and so it seems like people really enjoy that. It, it, it allows you to have like flexibility in the customer types as opposed to giving like one option that's sort of mediocre for everyone. But then it adds more complexity, I, I think, to the checkout. And I wonder if that lowers conversion rates or how you think about yes. that that trade off.
1: Yes, it is a tight balance in the sense that you don't want to have lots of different choices at checkout. You want it to be fairly straightforward. I think my my main point here is like you would have to figure out what it is that like fits in your brand. Like if you're a sustainable product or, or or sustainability is is part of your branding, like I don't know Reformation would be a good I would be a great example. Then um that resonates with your audience and you want to offer that. Uh, and by by offer that mean like offer maybe better more more eco friendly packaging, eco friendly shipping. So that makes that makes a ton of sense to me. So I think like it just has to be part of the the brand that you are projecting or the the brand image that you're you're trying to convey, and um, that will then also appeal to to the audience. If it's I don't know a, a product, let me just take the most ridiculous example. Like if you're selling guns, then I, I don't think anyone of your audience cares about. Eco-friendly shipping. So, uh, uh, yeah, it just has
0: to. I don't know. <laughs> yes.
1: No. I'm, I'm making this up.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I think that's a great point. You have to be. You have to be aware of what your audience um, cares about. Last year, we had um, Carl Rivera, who runs Shop at Shopify, yeah. um, which on the podcast, and he talked all about um, one of their initiatives, which is like whenever someone checks out on Shop, they uh, Shopify covers like the carbon footprint of the shipping which I think is a fascinating Etsy thing. That too. Yeah, Etsy has done that. Um, and I think that's actually a really interesting question. If I'm Shippo, like, do you want to put that decision in the hand of the customer or in the in the hand of the marketplace or the platform, you know, to offer that as an option? Is that something you've thought about?
1: We have. We have actually thought about that. And I think there are lots of different levers here, like levers here that, that, that we're considering. Like on the one hand, like offering or, or advertising that we will cover the carbon footprint of of every uh, package going through Shippo could be a customer acquisition tool. Like we we say that and we attract the right the customers who who care about this. Or it's it's a bonus when customers are making the decision, a bonus for us. So that is that is one way. Like we could use it as a customer acquisition tool. And um, it would resonate with our customers. Another way would be to like, actually put it into the hands of our merchants and say, like, our merchants can enable this for their consumers to, to opt into it. And um, then the merchants pay for it or, or they even let the consumers pay for it. And then that would be a, a conversion tool for, for merchants to like, increase conversion rates at checkout. So I think there, it, it just depends. Yes. What we've done in the past to like, just test this is to, um, like as instead of sending out Christmas gifts to send to our top accounts that we have like carbon offset all of their shipments to in, in, Q4. Wow. And, um, that was like that, that was, I think it resonated really well is better than, a like a, another gift box from another vendor. Um, so I, I, that, that was well received.
0: Well, so actually, um, Chelsea Mosen, who runs that program at Etsy, was also on the podcast. So we, we're getting the trifecta of all the different lenses on it. And what she said about it was they don't make it an option it, 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 because they don't want the customer to have to think about it, kind of going back to our point about conversion rate. But if I'm Shippo, I think you want to empower those merchants because maybe you have certain merchants or marketplaces that that's less of a priority to them. And then you don't want to kind of like Provide this default tax essentially on everyone.
1: Yeah, I would I would agree with that because like people who um, are Etsy sellers, I think there is a very specific audience like of Etsy merchants and Etsy shoppers. For us, like we have a wide variety of customers, and they they all care about different things. So um, our attitude is there is no one size fits all, and and what I mean by that is you know we, we've had one customer in the past like they were an online dollar store. For them, their customers were very price sensitive. They care about offering free shipping, and they're like even saying like shipping can take three weeks; it doesn't matter. Like all that matters is that it's free. And then we have other customers, um, like fancy upscale soap, and um, they're able to charge eight dollars for FedEx shipping, and um, it does not affect their conversion rates negatively because they're working with customers who have already spent like I don't know fifty dollars on soap. They don't care about another eight dollars for. For the FedEx delivery. So there is there is no one size fits all um, among our customer base. They're all different, selling different items and, and targeted at a different customer base. I think the, the other one is also like free shipping um, thresholds. I I love that as a strategy to get more like to to get the card value up. But it's again like I, I can't tell the store to say like, is always the best free shipping threshold. Like some people sell items that are worth hundreds of dollars and you might want to have a free shipping threshold that, Two hundred dollars, and some customers might be selling postcards, and their free shipping threshold should be ten dollars. So there's yeah, there's a, a big variety here, but that's that's what's making this fun. <laughs>
0: yeah, what, going back to the fragmentation of um, carriers, you tweeted recently about the fact that Amazon is now shipping more packages than FedEx. Which uh, you know, for the average person, they might be surprised to hear that. What, how does that make you feel? Because I'm guessing Amazon is not accessible as a <laughs> as a shipping carrier in in Chippo, or is it? How, how do you think about that? It's, it's
1: not right now, but I think that the interesting part is like if Amazon was to make this shipping service available to people and not selling on Amazon then we'd love to have it be a carrier on Shippo. Yeah. We want to give our... Maybe they will.
0: I don't know. Maybe they will.
1: Yeah. It, I want to, we want to give our merchants as many options as possible and whatever makes them more competitive. And then I think there's always the fear around, like, will Amazon take your data? And then it is really on our merchants to make that decision themselves. Like, if they're able to save on shipping and they're not afraid about their data, then they they should go with that option. And if, if they care about their data and they're willing, they, they're not interested in, in the Amazon service then that that's fine too like one thing just to throw out there like people always ask me why don't all merchants sell on amazon and um and then like just put all their items into fbo uh fba sorry not fbo yeah. <laughs> um and and then the answer here is like most and that, that also like is like i think part of, of, of your business like most of our customers, they're e-commerce merchants who have a brand and they want to own the customer right. experience. You want people to come to the of website to buy the ASAP soap. And um, they want people to get the box that's branded and the unboxing experience. They don't, don't, don't want the Amazon Prime logo on there. And then...
0: They want to control the whole experience. Exactly. Yeah.
1: So um, we're, we're seeing that a lot. And I think the a stat that I saw recently, maybe a year ago, was like, almost 80% of searches on Amazon are generic word searches. So people typing in soap instead of the brand right. or like mattress instead of the brand socks instead of bomba socks. And um, yeah, so that's, that's just, a, a, again, a different, different type of purchase. People buying on Amazon, they're like doing something generic. They want it fast. And then people who go on Bomba stocks, they are looking for the Bomba stocks and they have some sort of association with these stocks being superior, softer, whatever it is.
0: If I'm an upstart carrier, I'm starting a, a, my new shipping company in Los Angeles. What do I do to be part of Shippo? Are you seeing that behavior? For, you, you mentioned GLS, for example. Like, how do they go about making sure that like, their tracking information connects to you or are you doing that work on your side?
1: Yes, uh, it is uh, an ongoing discussion that we have, but we have two different options. Like on the one hand, we can do the integration work. We integrate carriers to our API and um, we own the, the like end-end integration work. And we do that mostly for large carriers. So like for Cutex, DHL, USPS, we're now doing that in Europe for a number of carriers. And then we also have a, a carriers API So just an API endpoint that we expose to to carriers who can then build to us. And then they're doing most of the heavy lifting. Like we've built the carriers API. So we've kind of done our part. They do the heavy lifting of connecting to us. And then we do the the QA at the end, making sure that, that everything's good and working and they're in charge of maintenance. Um, that works, so we have these two different options, and um, GLS is a great example because they did the integration to our carriers API, and, and that's, been, that's been working fairly well. And I, I think we see that as an interesting um, way to scale just our carrier network, uh, also because there has been increased fragmentation. And then our appeal to smaller carriers is different than to bigger carriers. Like, we can't really function without the big carriers. We have to have them on the platform. And then for the smaller carriers, it is, um, the dynamic is slightly different because they see us as a way to to tap into demand that they wouldn't have access to otherwise. Right, The Merchants can use us as a discovery tool for more carriers. So um, they have more incentives to do the integration work to us.
0: Do you find that those new carriers have the, the technical chops to be able to do this? Like, it, how are things evolving in that world?
1: Yeah. So most of the new carriers that are emerging, they're emerging as like, tech companies. And I think yeah. viho and Swift are two very interesting examples. There are others out there as well. They're, they're tech companies, tech platforms They get venture backing. So um, they have all of the resources and the know-how to, to do that work. And it's, it's not hard for them. And then um, more of the traditional carriers could be a harder lift there. And what we're thinking about then is just like we could provide professional services and charge for that um we could even have contractors that are like our professional services team that that we can we can lend out and, and and then um make make it work. Yeah, so I think there are different options.
0: Yeah, it's fascinating to to imagine because I mean the UPS website is is really bad. <laughs> a lot of the a lot of some of the, these carrier websites, you know, you go on there you're trying to, you know, either see what's going on with a package or ship a package and you're like what country in the world are you in? Like, I always see that screen. <laughs> it's like, I said I'm in the US like 700 times in my life yes. uh, to the U- UPS website. <laughs> um, so so there the, are the things like that, that that keep happening. And I feel like this fragmentation, I don't know what's going to you know happen for these big carriers, but um, I hope that it motivates them to keep making the, the experience better on their side too.
1: Yeah, I mean, what the big carriers have, as like uh, an upside is just they they have that network that already built up. They have the infrastructure. They have the density, and, and then they have a wider reach. Like it is hard to to start a national carrier on day one. You can start a same city carrier, and that's that's like, doable. But like a national carrier, you just can't you can't do that. So um, <laughs> that is what what the big carriers have in terms of upside. And then I I do think that they're really, they're just really good at logistics. Like we, we talk about their, their website being like, maybe not the prettiest, but like in the background, the logistics work and um, we've seen it. It's incredible. And we, we've like, I don't know, like vaccine distribution was another great example. Like, yep, they just spun that up and um, it worked. And so I think they're, they're, that's kind of where we see our like partnership come in with these carriers of like. You do what you're best at, which is the delivery stuff, the logistics, the supply chain, like driving the trucks, making the warehouse, all of that work. And like, we built the software because that's what we're really good at. And then we can, like, th- that's kind of the, the partnership opportunity that we see. And then in addition, I think the other things that we're really good at is like customer support, account management, like being close to our customers, speaking their language. It is our opportunity that the UPS website is maybe not the prettiest. <laughs>
0: I, I think you bring up a really good point, which is that in general, there's, there's a lack of appreciation for for how complex this is. There's a, a guy I follow on Twitter called Craig Maud, who was uh, basically started selling this book from uh, that he made in Japan, and it was like forty bucks to get the, this big book from Japan to the U.S. and people had to pay for it. It's like forty bucks for a. This, like this book to get from someone's hands in Japan to your hands is a miracle.
1: <laughs> no, totally. It is. It is. But I, I think the other part is also, you know, this book is so unique. I've, I've seen the same tweet. This book is so unique. Only he sells it. You can't go on Amazon.com and like get the shipping for, for free. So people are willing to pay for that. If you're selling a unique product that only you're selling and people want to buy what, what you have to sell... Then that is like you can command $40 shipping, and like people will grumble, but like they'll still do it.
0: I've never told this story on the podcast before, but um, the way that we acquired the Twitter handle for Lumi, like twitter.com slash Lumi, is that for some reason, Lumi, the account, was owned by a construction worker in albania nobody uh i don't know why he'd never tweeted he like signed up for twitter i don't even know how but this was around like 2010 or something like that or 2000 yeah and i figured out how to contact him through facebook and i could only talk to him like once every month because that's when he would log into like an internet cafe in (laughs) on uh, through his like facebook account and, and basically what he said was he would be willing to give us the Twitter handle if we sent him an iPhone uh, because they couldn't buy it in Albania. And so I sent him an iPhone. It was actually my own personal iPhone that I wiped uh, because it was like my, the, the one from the last generation that I didn't need anymore. And I sent it to him. But his address, I sent it USPS and his address was literally like, Laura, a town in Albania, Albania. There was no address, no zip code. It was just his name and a town and the country. And it got to him. (laughs) And I paid, I think I sent it. I don't think I sent it first first class. I think I sent it uh, priority or something. But I probably sent it for like $12. And I was just like, we have to appreciate that this is possible in our world.
1: It is pretty crazy. Yeah, no, I I agree. I send packages to my family in in Germany and like just boxes of things it gets here within a week and uh, someone delivers it to their home. Yeah, it's pretty cool. I think the sad thing is that like people notice shipping when you're fucking up. Like when something's wrong and you didn't get it and it's lost, broken, stolen, didn't get there in time. That's when they get angry. And I mean, rightfully so because they had some kinds of expectations. But then all of the times it goes well, People don't appreciate how much
0: of a miracle it is. I mean, this is the constant thing at Lumi because it's the same for us with with manufacturing. Like ninety-nine point nine percent of things that get manufactured through Lumi are completely perfect. And then one, you know, zero point zero one percent or zero point one percent, like something goes wrong of some kind. And you know, you it's like when you're on your Wi-Fi or whatever. If your Wi-Fi stops working, it's the end of the world. Like anything that's a utility that becomes like so part of your daily life, electricity, water, being able to ship things all over the world. I mean, it's an incredible fact that we have this infrastructure and (laughs) if we take it for granted, uh, which is kind of uh, a thing that when you're working in that world, you have to remind yourself to stay kind of like optimistic, despite the fact that you only get the complaints. (laughs) 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 It's the trade-off that comes with being essential.
1: Yes. Yes. And I, I think like this year or this last year, people maybe got a little bit of a, of a dose of like, it's not always running smoothly. Like if, if warehouse workers can't come to work because um, a global pandemic is happening, then items can't be shipped out and, and consumers can't get what they want to buy. And if, if the, the shipping providers are at like complete capacity, then the consumers have to wait a bit longer and, yeah, I think the other part is like if we're just talking about fragmentation again. I think the shipping providers, a lot of the traditional ones, like they're they're built for mail delivery, and I'm kind of reusing that infrastructure right now for package delivery. Um, no one's sending mail anymore, but yeah, it was it was meant like all these shipping providers were built initially for for mail, not not really for for packages. So that's just uh,
0: that's a great point.
1: It's an interesting thing to, to keep in mind, and um, I think, I, I think what I saw recently was that the the postmaster general, the the new or newish postmaster general of the USPS, was saying that they want to really lean more into packages now, and um, I'm, I'm excited by that. I think it's the, the right thing to do, but quite frankly, like it's been a reality for a good amount of time that mail is declining and and packages are up, and it's taken these carriers a little bit to adjust to these new realities.
0: Well I mean the USPS has been around since the, the beginning of the US <laughs> and, and you, I'm not sure FedEx they FedEx is like the new kid on the block right because they've been around since the 70s or whatever <laughs> So so um you know I think it's interesting to to think about it from from the, the that perspective on like what time scale mm-hmm. they see things because we're in the startup world and everything's moving so fast um but they're making these infrastructure bets that are you know decades long and the fact is that even however optimistic you know we are about e-commerce and how fast it's moving uh, we it's still only 17% of of what's going on in the US so if 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 we if if uh retail moves to more e-commerce let's say you know 50% over the next 15 years or something like that that means a lot more packages and how do we actually how do we actually do that infrastructure wise
1: yeah no, that's completely right. Yeah. And then people have been shipping all kinds of things like, I don't know, toilet paper is being shipped, but also like their furniture companies that are inventing or, or figuring out how to like be able to take apart your furniture and then assemble it easily so you can ship it out of like the, the normal size boxes and not do like freight delivery for that. um so yeah, there's, a, there's a, a lot of interesting stuff going on.
0: One of the things that I love about following you on Twitter is it's it's not only shipping. Mm-hmm. You get lots of great insights from from Laura. So I hope people
1: <laughs> follow you.
0: But one of the things, I know you're a voracious reader. We talked about that last time. What have been uh, uh, some of your recent discoveries? I know that you're into sci-fi. What have you been reading lately?
1: So it's not a book I read recently, but if we're talking about shipping already and, and sci-fi, there is a, a sci-fi book um, sci-fi not, not, not sci-fi book. I, I should again a dystopian future book called the, the Postman, and it is about a, a dystopian future where um, a, a guy wandering around in this new future, he finds like an abandoned postal uniform, and he he puts that on, and he becomes like the beacon of hope for the communities that he's passing because they all remember how like the postman used to come to visit them in their village, and like he becomes this like very unlikely hero uh, leading some kind of I guess like new world order, and it is it is it is very fun to read, and it is like very positive about uh, postal workers, and <laughs> very yeah, it's it's super fun to read and a quick like weekend read. Then I was reading, I think it's called the the bonfire or bonfire of the vanities. Oh yes, yes, that I've one. Not read it's, that. It's, I read that. It's it's not sci-fi, but it's it's fiction as well, so it's like it's super fun. And there was another book that that the same author wrote, totally blanking on the name, but it was about, it was about, it was set in Atlanta, I believe.
0: Okay, so Tom Wolf. Tom Wolf, exactly.
1: But he's like, all of his stuff is
0: so good. Is it A, a Man in Full? Yes, A Man or... in Full.
1: That was a very, very good book. I, I loved reading that. And then um, last weekend, I just finished Snow Crash again. I, I read Snow Crash many years ago and um, just wanted to, yeah, wanted to read it again.
0: I was reading um, "Inherit the Stars." I think you might like that one. Have you read that? I've not. No. It's a good. It's a, it's a. It's a. It's a little bit of like a sci-fi thriller. Um, "Snow Crash" is is is. Uh, gosh, I need to get into it. Um, someone also recommended "Diamond Age" to me, which is also. Mm-hmm. Have you read that one?
1: Yes, it's so
0: good. Someone, for some reason, said I needed to read uh, The Diamond Age, that it related to our vision for Lumi somehow, but I don't really understand uh, without reading it. (laughs) It had something to do with manufacturing.
1: (laughs) I don't know. I, I didn't read it, or I didn't don't see any parallels, but but uh well, yeah, I guess. <laughs>
0: um, yeah, inherit the stars is is, is it, when you were talking about the postman, it reminded me of this book that I read last year. It's a so people go to the moon and find a body on the moon, and they're like, "Why is there a body on the moon?" And it's it's basically like a detective story, um, a sci-fi detective story. Oh,
1: that sounds so cool! I should I should read that. Uh, So I try to always like have one fiction book and one nonfiction book. And then the nonfiction book I do on Audible because it's easier. It's easier to just have someone read nonfiction to you. And then as as nonfiction, I'm doing The Splendid and the Vile right now, which is a book about Churchill. It's also very interesting.
0: Well, I do the same thing. Um, I've been reading. um, I actually just finished um, Murakami's book about uh, what I talk about when I talk about running. Have you have you read that?
1: Okay, I have not read that. I've read the other one with the um, girl and the moon. One Q, eight four.
0: I think that uh, what I talk about when I talk about running is his only um, nonfiction book, and it's sort of like a biography, kind of because he's he loves um, running uh, marathons and writing books and. He talks about those two things kind of in a similar way, like the, the, the way that they help each other, but also the way that writing a book is kind of a marathon. And for me, I, I found it very um, inspirational in, in terms of being an entrepreneur, because <laughs> building a company is very much a marathon in, in its own right as well. Um, the last thing I wanted to ask you about was around something that you brought up uh, recently on Twitter as well, which was the topic of freezing your eggs. Now, I I would like to touch on this because as someone who has a co-founder who is female, like this is something I think that I was really, I love that you brought this up publicly because I think that it's something that a lot of female entrepreneurs like struggle with in, you know, making decisions about how to prioritize their their time and their life. What was, what, first of all, what inspired you to share that publicly? Was that something that was easy for you to do? Because I don't think most people would.
1: Good question. So I think it starts with, you know, I, I am a family person. I want to have kids one day. There's not even a question of, of whether I want to have kids. It's just a question of when. And um, I'm, so I'm, I'm looking forward to that, but it's like now, is not a good time. And it's not a good time. Not because like anyone's forcing me or anything bad is happening. It's like, I love my job and it's a, like, I love my job. I love what we're doing and it's very exciting and um I, I want to make sure that I'm not worried about having like the ability of having children in the future. So this is just a, a way to, to put my, my mind at ease and like to to feel feel safe. And um, I think the reality is probably like when I wanna have kids eventually, I'm not even sure I, I, I will need to use the, the frozen eggs, but it's good to, to know that I have them just, just in case. And then about like talking about it. You know, I was thinking about it when when we when I was doing it. And um, should I tell even the, the leadership team about this and people that I'm working with? And the reality is just it is so taxing on your body and also on your mind. And like, I, I can only I, I, I not not been pregnant. Right. Like I, I feel like or I, I hear I think that like when you're pregnant, you're experiencing these kinds of side effects. For nine months, and you're feeling bad for for nine months. So I, I can only imagine like what what that's going to feel like. But like for a week and a half, I was just um you know you have to give yourself injections twice a day, and those injections are like hormonal. They they make your your estrogen spike, and then that comes with all kinds of just other side effects. Like you're feeling hot, you're feeling cold. No, not cold. Mostly you're feeling hot. You're feeling sweaty, but you're also feeling slow and tired. You get pregnancy brain. Yeah, so I, I told the team about this happening just for, for some empathy and like for them to know what, what my availability is going to be that that those weeks. And I think overall, like a lot of my friends have been have been doing this. Um, I haven't seen people talk about it publicly, but privately they talk about it. And I, I, I don't think it's anything that should be shameful. Um like I'm I'm excited to have kids. I'm excited to do that eventually, just like rather do it on, on my timeline. And um, then I want to feel, feel good about when the time's right. And I think that's better than for, for the kids as well, like having them at the right time. <laughs> so I was surprised, honestly, about like some of the, the, the responses in that thread. Like it was controversial, um, controversial, mostly because people were talking about like, this is not a, a fail safe. Like we can't really right. rely on this. The success rate is not that high. And, like I'm I'm like, I think they're all right. Like no one's saying that like I you should rely on it 100%. It's just like having optionality is always good. Like you should always increase your your optionality. And um, even as a CEO, I'm trying to increase optionality for the business. So <laughs> yeah, just, uh, creating creating more optionality. I'm not trying to say to anyone that this will like this will guarantee that that you're going to have kids. Like there's no guarantee in, in life. But um at least you have more options.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I I, w- I wanted to chime in just saying, trust me, she's thought through this.
1: <laughs> no,
0: no, 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 no. <laughs> the CEO of a logistics company is 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 you know going to definitely think about all of those contingencies. But I think what one of the things I've noticed with with my team um, is is I think especially because of COVID and us being I don't know it's a combination of us maybe trying to find more personal bonding through the internet somehow that I found, um, even just with colleagues and with friends, like more discussions happening about the physicality of being a human being and how like, I mean, it could be as simple as saying like, hey, I didn't, I haven't gotten COVID, but people are pretty open. I got COVID or, you know, I have this particular issue going on. I, I think there's been at least anecdotally for me a lot more of those conversations. And I think that that's great. Like for people to, like you said, not be ashamed of things that are going on. We're all, you know, human beings. And I think that level of empathy and understanding that people might be going through things is, I don't know, it's beneficial. And I like that we're, we're sharing those more openly.
1: Yeah. So what we started doing as a leadership team, like our our Tuesday leadership meetings is uh, like at the beginning of the meeting to do a quick check-in, um, red, yellow, green, and just like give people an understanding of wh- where you are in your headspace. And you don't really have to say, like, if you don't want to explain why you're red, that's fine too. But at least people know that like your headspace is, you're agitated right now and like, or, or you're distracted by something else that's going on at home. And given that like work and home is so close at this point, yeah, it can't, can't really separate. It's just, it's just like, yeah, influencing
0: it's so much more visible if some, if some someone you know we we all know we're all used to now kids and dogs and things in the background going on and so I think that that has brought us weirdly like closer together about just the reality that that's that's just something that's going on in everybody's life.
1: Mm-hmm. Yep, agree. And um, people are actually, I think, people are fairly understanding about that. Like everyone has their kids at home, everyone has their dogs barking. And, um, it just, there's no, no way, no way around that. I've gotten to see people's pets that I normally wouldn't <laughs> yeah. see. I've gotten to see their kids over Zoom. So yeah, it is, there is a human side to, to this, to like sitting in front of Zoom. And it's, it, it, I, I've been, enjo- I don't want to say I've, I've enjoyed it, but it's just, I'm trying to find enjoyment in, you know, this is just our new reality right now. So let's not like, think about I want to go back to the office. I want to go back to the office. But what are some of the positives about about this situation?
0: What are you looking forward to uh, for the next year? Are there any things, Shippo or otherwise, that you're really excited about?
1: Mostly hiring. Um, Very much looking forward to hiring. And um, it's been an incredible feeling. Like I, I don't get to see everyone because we're not in the same office. Like sometimes I join meetings and mostly as like a way of listening in. I'm not the one who's presenting in the meeting. I'm just participating. And I, I hear other new Shipo team members talk about the business, about our customers, about our problems and their solutions. And I'm just like so impressed. Yeah, <laughs> <And> so that's, <laughs> that's such a cool feeling, right? <laughs> it is a really cool feeling, and I'm, I'm learning things about my own business and how they think about it. So it's it's an incredible feeling, and I've enjoyed that about about hiring, just having more smart people thinking about these problems and um, thinking about things that I, I don't have the bandwidth to think about anymore. And it's been it's been fun. We're, I think, 170 people right now, we hope to be 300 by the end of the year. And wow. then we're trying to build the machinery to be able to hire another 300 next year. So um, we're really trying to just like build, yeah, grow as fast as we can in terms of team.
0: It's just across all teams? Or what kind of people do you need? if people are listening and want a job
1: <laughs> yeah for sure product death like we, we need a lot of engineering and product resources but it is it is across all teams like we need recruiters to be able to do this we need customer support people to be able to like take care of our growing customer base we need bd people marketing people so there's really uh, across the board we now have functions that we didn't have before like we've I don't know, we've never had biz ops people. Now we have biz mm. ops people. We've never had M&A and uh, people working at Chippewa. Now we do. It's like, yeah, also we've got new functions that just didn't exist beforehand.
0: That is that is so fun. And, and I can, I, we're 50, so it's not at the same scale, but um, I can relate to that feeling that you were describing. Recently, it's been fun that the name Lumia is enough out there that we're starting to see some applicants that are coming more from like, I guess, the traditional industry, but who are young and have like a lot of excitement and kind of are finally the type of people who bridge that gap. Yeah, And I think that's really exciting because over the past few months, we've been able to hire people who they're uniquely like bringing those two things. And I can imagine that happening at at Chippo too, like people who who have experienced things, you know, maybe having worked at big carriers or other places where they're like faced with those problems, but then they want to bring that knowledge and combine it with like what you're doing with technology. And I think that that is like a super, if you're in that like Venn diagram, uh, I I think working at Chippo would be like amazing.
1: For sure. Now I I think, yeah, people with e-commerce experience with shipping experience or people who just want to learn about it, as long as you're curious and and willing to learn something that's pretty complex, um, I think like shipping experience is, it's not easy to acquire, but it is possible to learn. (laughs)
0: Uh, any links or things we should point people to? Obviously, we'll we'll have your Twitter <laughs> link, yeah. Shippo. Uh, w- w- where should we point people to?
1: I mean, if you uh, there's slash hiring for for our, our job breaks or slash jobs. Sorry, and and then what else should we? I think that's it. Yeah, Twitter, our website, the hiring page. No, these are all good.
0: Um, well, thank you so much, Laura. It's always fun to ta- talk with you. And, and I hope to check in again in uh, another year or two, see how you're doing. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, thank you. Thanks for having me.
0: Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the show, if you got something useful out of it, I would love to hear what that was. Consider writing a short review, could be just a sentence long, by going to iTunes and searching for well made. I want to hear it all. I want to hear good, bad. I want to hear your constructive criticisms. I am just trying to make this show as useful as possible for you. So tell us what you think. That is the very best way that you can support the show. Thanks, and see you next time.